Welcome to the Next Level Leaders Podcast with me, Dr. Joseph Walker. This podcast is designed to offer strategies in moving vision to reality. Leaders can expect to be mentored, inspired, and challenged to succeed at the next level. So prepare to be exposed, empowered, and equipped for excellence. Thank you for connecting and allowing this space to become an opportunity for growth and collaborative learning. Now, let's go on this journey together and spark the change we wish to see in ourselves, our teams, and the world. Welcome to Next Level Leaders Podcast. I'm Dr. Joseph Walker III, and you are tuned in at the right time on the right day. It's Tuesday, and you know how we do it. This is going to be one of the most amazing months. We're going to share something with you that was deep in my heart to share. March is Women's Month, and we're going to celebrate some winning women this month. I believe that it is profound, to say the least, to watch how women have been able to achieve so much, particularly when so much has been against them systematically, socially, etc. You think about the disparity between revenue, between male and female, it saddens me to think through even the glass ceiling that women have to fight through just to get to a place where they can't excel beyond certain levels. But then you run across some extraordinary stories of women who have done it in spite of all those things that said could not happen. That's what we're going to highlight today. Whether you are a man or a woman, it's really about overcoming obstacles. It's about dreaming bigger than you've ever dreamed before. It's about knowing what's possible. You see, what I believe with all of my heart is that when you have a dream and a passion to succeed, when you are a leader, you will push past every excuse and you will determine within yourself that you're going to be on top of the top and not on top of the bottom. Today, I'm excited because the woman that I'm going to share with you today is truly, in my estimation, one of the most brilliant and accomplished women I know. Dr. Andrea Willis, MD, MPH, is an amazing, an amazing woman. She is a physician. She's an executive. She's an author. She's a mother. She is doing it in a major level, in a major space. The beauty of this is I've known her for many, many years, and I have watched incredible doors open for her, and I have seen her walk through those doors with incredible grace and fortitude and impact change from the platform that she's been given. I believe with all of my heart that when you have a platform, it is not self-serving. Platforms are to benefit those in your realm of influence, to inspire, to encourage, and that's who she is. Today, you're going to be inspired by her story, and we welcome to Next Level Leaders, Dr. Andrea. Willis, how are you, my sister? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for that introduction. I am so honored by that. And I'm just even inspired by the introduction because you don't know what it means to me to have people around me that just make me want to do better. And you are certainly one of those people for me. So thank you so much for that introduction. Wow. Well, I tell you what, it, it is a blessing for all of us to inspire people as we go through life. And 
I want our listeners to hear your story. It is a fascinating story. And talk about where you're from. Talk about your academic pedigree first, and then we'll get into the professional realm. But I want people to understand the the upbringing and the pedigree. Absolutely. Well, I was born and raised in Athens, Alabama, and I love to tell people about that because I actually grew up helping to raise pigs. That's really where my work ethic started. Um, My grandfather had a pig farm. He later had a stroke when I was still very young. He couldn't do all of the physical work himself, so it was up to his grandkids to do it under his direction. He worked as hard. We were working every day, out in the sun, out in the rain, no matter what. But I like to tell that part of my story because, again, it created a work ethic that I still think is very useful to me this day. But even during those times of working in the pig fields and all of that good stuff, my grandfather was very encouraging, and he always said, you're going to be a great doctor one day. This was when I was very young. And, you know, I just thought, well, he was encouraging me. But then I felt it for myself. My first patient that I like to tell people was a little kitten in the shed behind my grandparents' house that was struggling to deliver the one kitten that it had. And I knew that I had to jump into action. So I ran into the house and I got some dishwashing gloves. I don't know what I was going to do with them. I got a pair of scissors, didn't know what I was going to do with them, but I knew I had to help this cat. It turns out that it took only just massaging the tummy a little bit and the kitten was delivered. But that was my first patient and I never looked back. And I always went back to that early start. I never changed my mind about what I wanted to do, anything of that nature. I ended up going to UAB for my undergrad, University of Alabama at Birmingham. but I ended up going to Georgetown School of Medicine to get my MD. And then right after graduation, I went to Johns Hopkins and got my master's in public health. And then I went on to do my pediatric residency from there. Um, I went into private practice after that. But then my mom had a few strokes and I was still in the D.C. area. My family was still in Alabama. I wanted to get closer to home. I literally just put my resume out there uh, in Nashville, and I almost had a cover letter that was really just this blunt. Look, I'm just looking for something. If you think I can fit in, give me a call. That's all I did. I had come to see my mom. She was in the hospital, and I brought my son with me that was really a toddler at the time, and I got on the plane going back to D.C. at that point, and I started praying, and I said, God, Please help me. I do not know what to do from here, but I believe you, and I believe you will help order my steps wherever I should go. I got home, and I kid you not, literally, when I walked in the door, the phone rang, and it was the assistant for the Commissioner of Health for the state of Tennessee, and she said, Dr. Willis, your resume has made it to us. And we would like to know if you want to come interview. And I was thrilled. I was like, (laughs) absolutely. Yes, I will do it. I'll do it. I got off the phone. I called a friend. I was like, yes, I got an interview in Nashville. The friend said, well, what are you interviewing for? I said, I have no idea. (laughs) 
And the friend said, well, why are you excited? I said, oh, wait, I forgot to tell you this part. I got on the plane. I said a prayer. And the phone rang. And they still didn't quite get it, but it, it was all real to me. So I decided I better at least call back, see if they were going to pay my way. After I was interviewing for, so I called back. The assistant picked up and she said, well, Dr. Robinson, who was the commissioner at the time, he didn't tell me what you're going to interview for. And no, we don't pay your way. We don't pay your hotel or anything. But do you want to come still interview? And I was like, absolutely. So I got off the phone, told my friend, and her friend said, you don't know anything more than you knew before, but you're very excited. Why? I was like, didn't I tell you I got on the plane, I said a prayer, and then the phone rang. So within a couple of weeks, I came, I interviewed with Dr. Robinson. He interviewed me three hours, grilled me three hours, but it was a great interview. I left, came back to D.C. Friend asked me, how did the interview go? Oh, it went great. Well, what did you interview for? I have no idea. <laughs> what? After all that, you still don't know. I was like, did you not hear me say? I got on a plane. I said a prayer. And the phone rang. Then within a few weeks, Dr. Robinson and I spoke. He offered me deputy commissioner of health for the entire state of Tennessee wow. as my first job in Tennessee. Within a few weeks, I packed up and I headed to Nashville. That's how I that got is here. An amazing um, wow. Is that not crazy? Yeah. Yeah, you know that scripture that says our steps are ordered by the Lord. It was very clear that there was a, a master plan involved and you prayed about this. When we pray sometimes, I don't know if we think it's actually going to happen, but you prayed and as soon as you got home, that's unbelievable. The phone would ring and bring you to Nashville and you come to Nashville. So you're in this place, right? You're the deputy commissioner of health during this season in your life and you know, you're impacting health around the entire state. And, uh, Let's talk about that because that's going to give us some some conversation a little later about what you do currently. But when you were in that season, what was that like for you? Like, is that a lobbyist? I mean, are you having to go and talk to legislators day in and day out about health disparities? I and mean, what what is it that you have to do in that space? So that job really is about really moving forward public health. Um, so we worked for the governor basically. Um, my boss was a member of the governor's cabinet. We were responsible for the oversight of the health department all across the state. So 89 of them are part of the state structure. The other six, um, those cities or counties own those, but all work in conjunction with each other. So overseeing 95 health departments and really looking at those things that are plaguing Tennesseans the most and trying to devise a plan as to how we do better as an entire state and who do we need to mobilize as partners to help realize the best state of health possible for the entire state. So it was a big responsibility, right. but it was great exposure right. um, to others in that field. So, you know, you're, you're in medicine. Is this something you're dreaming about? Like, for instance, people in a particular career, there's a certain path forward, right? The clinical practice of medicine. You know, you you know Dr. Steph very well. We're all friends and you understand that, you know, how you can be in this zone and, you know, you go, you get this training and then people think this is what you're going to always do. You're going to always be a pediatrician as you are. You're going to always see patients. And then no, now you move into this this realm where you're you're affecting change and moving the needle forward in terms of public health, which goes right into your 
your MPH degree, right? This is what you went to school for. How, how much does that play a role? What I'm getting at is, it, like, did you prepare for this or did you see yourself preparing for something that actually came to fruition in this? And how important is it to, to really prepare for something? Because some people, when they lead, they don't necessarily prepare specifically for the thing they're going into. So they get on the job and it becomes like a on-the-job training thing. Like you had this kind of nailed down when you got there. Well, it's interesting because by my going to Georgetown for medical school, one of the things I did in my third year was do an internship with the American Academy of Pediatrics. They had an office in that area. And so when I did that, I actually got to go and see pediatricians testify in front of Congress. And I just remember thinking that was the coolest thing ever because if they really made a change on that level, they affected thousands of children at a time. And I thought, I really like doing things on a population platform. So that's when I knew that I probably needed a degree like the MPH to help give me that kind of stage. And so that's why after I graduated from medical school, I went ahead and got my master's of public health. So while I didn't have it mapped out until I really you know, touched on something that just totally blew me away and interested me. I would say the thing is to be open and listen to those things that really speak to your heart, even though you thought maybe there was this only one path, but sometimes God will show you, you can use that path to also do these other things. Just be open. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here you are now. Okay. So you got, you know, here's a, a woman from Athens, Alabama, basically herding pigs, who yes. goes to Georgetown University, medical school, yes. becomes a pediatrician, right? <laughs> Finishes, gets an MPH degree, becomes one of the youngest, if not the youngest, African-American female to serve as deputy commissioner of health for the state of Tennessee. Yes. And now... Here you are, and I want my listeners to really understand the weight of what I'm getting better to say. Here you are now, Senior Vice President of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, and you are the Chief Medical Officer. Yes. Wowzer. Wowzer, wowzer, wowzer. (laughs) Like, really? Again, really, you know, I have to truly give God the credit for that, too, because, you know, after I served as deputy commissioner or during my time as deputy commissioner, I got to do a lot of things with the governor's office. And uh, the governor asked me to start the S-SHIP program for Tennessee. So that's the state children's health insurance program. Most people know it as cover kids. So I got to start that from scratch. Um, for the governor at the time. And of course, we had to have a partner to deliver the benefits. And that was Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee. So worked very closely with them, got that up, got it filled to capacity even. And then as that governor was winding down his administration, I knew I had to have a landing place and just reached out to Blue Cross and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about what my next move is. And they were very welcoming and said, hey, come on over here, you know. Um, So I did that, started at an entry-level role, was happy in my entry-level role, uh, and then the chief medical officer position became vacant. 
And I just thought, yeah, okay, that won't be me. I mean, whatever. I'm at an entry level and really pushed it aside. The job was open for weeks. One of the executives reached out to me and said, hey, why didn't you apply for this position? Inside, I'm saying, wait, I'm entry level. I know I don't have a shot, but if an executive asks you and you don't jump at that opportunity, I think that you risk staying where you are for forever because you've shown them you're not willing to step up and take a risk. So at that point, I went ahead and applied. I had my first interview. Wasn't nervous because I was like, whatever. I'm sure this is formality. I got called back for a second interview and I was like, okay, wait, you know, I start praying. I said, God, I don't want this, but if it be your will that I do this, I will do it. I went to the second interview. It went fine. Still, I'm thinking, whatever, not going to happen. But then I prayed again, the same prayer, got called back for a third interview. Praise the same prayer. God, I do not want this, but if you want me to do this, I will do it. Two days later, they offered me the job. I'm in Nashville. They're calling me from Chattanooga. I was boohooing. I put the phone on mute. I was just totally boohooing because I really had not set my sights on it. And I started to pray that same prayer. God, I don't. Then I was like, wait a minute. I've been praying. I don't want this, but if it be your will, I'll do it. I was like, oh. he just showed me what his will is. Right, right. Get over it and do it. Wow. And I never have looked back, not once wow. since that time. Wow. How do you navigate? Okay, this is a space, you know, clearly, majoritively, it is male-dominated space. You are executive, female, minority, African-American. How have you been able to navigate that space and have vision and voice in the space where you are? What I remind myself of all the time when sometimes it can feel intimidating is I am speaking up for others that look like me. I have a seat at the table, and if I miss that opportunity to speak for others that look like me, then not only does it hurt me, but it hurts my community. That gives me the confidence to speak up. And so there are intimidation tactics out there, but you have to push past that. And when you keep your mind focused on what your purpose is, and you have to remind yourself that these other people sitting at the table can't bring the perspective that you can, it really does give you confidence and strength. So, like, what would you say uh, to some young woman now, or even a young man who may feel, like you know, there's something, you know, I, I may not want to do this, but God, if it's your will, and then you find this place of peace and purpose coming together and colliding, and you realize, wow, for such a time as this, God really set me up for something as extraordinary as this. Like, this is this is so huge, right? Because, like, I didn't want a pastor. I didn't. I Lord, no. But if it's your will, I'll do it. Like, often that's what happens, right? We know it's God because we often are resisting it in our flesh, but then there's this space in our spirit where we say, well, Lord, if it's your will, I'll walk in it. Talk about that and help somebody work through that. I think if you really open yourself up to that, it helps you to remember that there are going to be a lot of things that you can't handle by yourself. 
but you weren't meant to handle it by yourself. Um, you say a lot of times, you know, vision is bigger than what you can afford. <laughs> and that is so true. I mean, you put the people around you that can help you drive that purpose forward. And I think you can't forget that your team is important. You can be the visionary, but you need the people that are going to help make it plain. And so you also know when you come across those things like I've never encountered this before. I don't know how to do this. Again, you remember who got you there in the first place. And you know you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have the willingness to find the answers and put those people around you that will help you find those answers. So so our, our crowds matter. Our, our, you know, our, our colleagues matter. Our connections matter. It's clear. You operated this altitude. It is clearly a place where the air is very thin. And but you you've dreamt it, you've seen it come to pass, and now you're an author. Let's talk about that because now you've been able to leverage your experiences between the healthcare industry as well as your faith in God, and here you've written a book that merges health and medicine and and faith rather, and you merge it in such a way what I believe is perhaps a very insightful piece of literature to help people understand how the two work hand in hand. Talk about that for a little bit. Okay. So um, my brother and I, my brother is Pastor Antoine Green, who you also know, one of your sons, your spiritual sons. Um, We wrote this book and it's called When Ministry Meets Medicine. It was a title that had actually been put in my spirit years ago. The impetus for us to actually write this book, I invited him to write this with me, is that one day he called me, uh, it's been a couple of years ago now, and said, you know, I just took daddy to the doctor, and the doctor is thinking that he has kidney cancer, and just based on his first impression, it's all over his body. And so he's now going to send him to have this MRI. And I said, oh, okay okay, well, let me know how that goes. He's like, that's it? I said, that's it. Well, why are you not upset? Doesn't this sound bad? I said, it sounds bad, but he's about to have a test that's going to show us more. And he's like, that's really all you got for me. Mm. I was like, yeah. And he was like, but you admit it sounds bad. I said, I admit it sounds bad. And then he jumps to, well, where's your faith? And that's when we had World War Three. Mm. I was like, so why did you jump to, I don't have faith because I said it sounds bad, but you prompted, by the way. But at the same time, you know, I'm telling you, don't worry. Let's see what the test shows. Then we know exactly what we're dealing with and what we need to pray for. And so as we continue to have that conversation as we were going through my dad's illness, what he shared with me, and I want to be, you know, show his perspective, he said, the way that I came across to him was cold. And I was like, well, I didn't mean to be cold. I was just stating a matter of fact. And he said, but I perceived it as cold. And then I perceived it that you thought I was ignorant. And I was like, well, then, okay, maybe I need to come in a different way. But what I didn't want to do is lie to you. And I wanted you to have informed opinion about what was going on. And all I was saying, it was too early 
to jump to conclusions, let's know what our prayer target is. And let's figure out the best thing we need to do for our dad. And so that's why I was like, let's write this book because I think other people are having this conversation. And sometimes I think we struggle with those conversations even within ourselves. I mean, it comes up a lot of times with mental health. You know, can I pray it away? When do I need to go seek help? Those type things. So we were just really wanting people to know that ministry and medicine, they don't have to fight it all. As a matter of fact, they should augment each other. There should be synergy there. That is a powerful thing. You know, let, let me let me just say this. You know, the way in which you've been able to to really passionately share that, it speaks to passion. I think you'll never prepare for what you're not passionate for. You'll never promote what you're not passionate for. What is the epicenter of Dr. Andrea Willis's passion right now? What is what is the epicenter? What what is that gets your blood flowing? Like this is what I believe at this moment in my life I'm put on the planet to do. Um, it is that I came to the realization that I am called to ministry. Yeah. But my ministry is through medicine. And it's that thing, you know, if you've got a light, you've got to let it shine. And that really is what it is. I really think God put me on earth to basically spread his love through the way of medicine. And I always even say in the practice of medicine, you know, that sometimes God will heal through medicine because he has called people to do that. And sometimes he will heal supernaturally, as God can do. And sometimes he heals on the other side. But he has messengers. And I believe that I'm one of those, as is Dr. Steph. And we're gifted with being able to be an extension of him to help people through times of illness. But also, we want to promote people keeping healthy as much as possible. Well... You're a fascinating story, and in this is this entire series of winning women, uh, I could think of no one greater to, to kick off this month than have you kick off because your your story, where you come from, how you get that passion, is something that every person who is listening needs to understand. I want them to to get that book. What's the name of that book? Can you tell us the name of the book? It is when ministry meets. Medicine. All right, with Ministry Meets Medicine, it's Dr. Andrea Willis, along with her brother. And I want you to make certain that you get it. Let me tell you, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Willis. And our takeaways today for those who are listening and, and you, you know, you're hearing this, I think one of the things I gather from this is don't despise small beginnings. This is what characters built. This is where you learn that work ethic, as you heard earlier. And every leader who does things at this kind of level has very humble beginnings, and they've learned uh, a lot about work ethic while they were doing it. I think it's also important to understand that if you you have a dream, you have to pursue it. Uh, Dr. Willis was not passive in her pursuit. She was forthright. She put the application in. She followed through, and she dealt with it with a level of expectation. And when you do, that's great. You do that with a level of expectation, and I just appreciate that you you corporate them, you seize the moment, you do what I talk about in my book, No Opportunity Wasted. You you Ohio, you you know, only handle it once. I'm done with it, I deal with it, and I move forward. And that's what makes a very successful leader. 
But you also understand the power of collaboration and, and the people in your life and, and, and environment, which is huge because a lot of folks don't realize you can do all the right things and have all the wrong people in your life. And that's why it never, never manifests. So for us who are listening, we are we're grateful. And uh, I tell you what, it is truly, 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 truly a blessing just to have you listening today, wherever you are. And it's a blessing to have Dr. Willis sharing because you have inspired us all today. And I know that regardless of a person's challenge in terms of the corporate ladder, excuses you might try to bring forth, when you hear a story like this, it inspires you to know if Dr. Andre Willis can do it, so can you. Doc, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being a part of Next Level Leaders podcast. And we appreciate you. We support you. We're praying for you. And to all who are listening, thank you once again. It's been a great conversation. Join me next week. I'm going to have another special guest on this month. We're talking about winning women. And we're going to go into another profession that I think you're going to find incredibly fascinating. Have a blessed one. Peace. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. I want you to subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or whatever podcasts are downloaded. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at josephwalker3. I look forward to connecting with you.